Welcome to Passmaster, the show where we travel back in time and try and survive and thrive in history. Will we survive? Will any of it make any sense? Let's tune in and find out. Okay, welcome. My name is Ryan Mulcrone. I'm here with Tan Parsons, Keon... He's, he's not here. He's so not who's, here. who's our replacement key on today then, Tan? We're delighted to be joined by Mark Zakian, who is a history guide and podcast producer and is the driving force, the brains, what, what do we call you, the writer of... I don't know if I could be called the brains, but I did create the Extraordinary Stories of Britain podcast, which is a monthly history podcast. We actually discovered you, Mark, through the Independent Podcast Awards uh, and you were shortlisted for Independent History Podcast of the Year. Yes. Uh, and I've been very much enjoying listening, particularly The Fire of London was the first one that caught my imagination. Yeah. And I also enjoyed A Lav Affair, the history of toilets and sewage in Britain. We loves our puns. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're really excited to have you on board because um, Thank you. one of the things that we always talk about on Passmaster is it's how do we how do we categorize this podcast? Is it is it comedy? Is it technology? Is it history? Is it gaming? And I always thought that it would be history, but Turns out myself and Tan and our other co-host Keon don't really know much about history. <laughs> so when we play it and we use AI as our guide, so it's a kind of navigate through time using ChatGPT powered Game Master to tell us what's happening. I don't think we 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 we'll probably had the wall pulled over our eyes a little bit sometimes. So we need to we need to be able to push back and be like, actually, did that happen? So I'd like to have somebody who knows a little bit more about history than us who can maybe tell us and, and Game Master what's going on. <laughs> Well, I'll do my best, guys. <laughs> yeah, no, no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> well, I've never worked with AI before, so I'm excited to find out whether artificial intelligence is amazingly incisive or appallingly ignorant. Mm. So we'll see what happens with uh, the machine today. So just uh, by way of further introduction, how did you become interested in, in history? And do you have a, a particular bit of history that you're particularly fascinated by or interested in? Well, actually, when I was at school, I suffered from the, the classic problem of uh, a history teacher who was very, very boring and just sort of went through the story of the Civil War, date by date, uh, battle by battle. And I found that very, very tedious. But then uh, living in London, I became sort of very engaged with looking at the city and the world around me and visiting places, visit, going to the Tower of London and going to Westminster Abbey. You sort of want to know more and more and more. And that's what fascinated me. It's the stories. It's his story. Mm. that's interesting the dates they're just the sort of little bumps in the road along mm. the way so that's yeah. what 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 inspires me and part of my job as well as writing history podcasts and producing history podcasts is to go with people take them on visits and try and inspire them in places like St Paul's Cathedral or the Tower of London. Fantastic. What do you know or, or what do you think you know about uh, Past Master at the moment and how it works? I can't remember how much I've told you. Well, this is my understanding <laughs> yeah. and that is that you're using AI, ChatGPT, yeah. to try and sort of pose questions to it to find out what might be happening in the past and to see whether it's, it's up to scratch or whether it's incorrect. And for it to maybe direct us along the way if there's something that we, we're trying to work out. Yeah, pretty much. So I wondered if we were, I wondered if it would be interesting for us to have a day out uh, in London in 1613. So during the time of James I. Okay. And maybe there's a group of us or a few of us who want to have a, a birthday celebration and head out into the city to try and find some entertainments and some amusement. Fantastic. Okay. All right, let's dive in. I'm going to give us a very specific date. Is okay. that okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, the, it's Saturday, the 29th of June, 1613. Okay. 
and we can find some characters who would be typical of people that lived in the early 1600s in Jacobean England and see how their lives are and see what their day out might consist of. Somebody can choose to have a birthday. I think, I think it should be your birthday. <laughs> or it could be birthday that we're celebrating. I don't know, maybe they're going to get married soon. It could be anything, really. Yeah, yeah. So for, I'd like to visit London for a day out on Saturday, 29th of June, 1613. Me and two mates are going to have a jolly in town. I'd like to find out about people's lives and see what's going on. That, that sounds good. Do we want to say what our names are at this stage or wait for it to ask? We could wait for it to ask, and if okay. it doesn't ask, we'll... Then we'll just say, by yeah. the way. By the way, we are cool. <laughs> <laughs> ah, welcome, traveller. You've chosen a rather fiery day to visit London. June the 29th, 1613, the smell of burning timber fills the air and the city buzzes with excitement and chaos. Your day in London will be anything but ordinary, for you've landed on the day of the famous Globe Theatre caught fire. Before we embark on your journey, tell me, what's your name? And shall we call your mates by any particular names? Your objective for this adventure in the bustling streets of 17th century London is to become a cultural icon. Okay. <laughs> so, a um, cultural icon. <laughs> Setting a low bar there. Yeah. <laughs> it does. It, it so the prompt will pick one of the winning objectives. Okay, we'll see. I mean, so it's, so it's kind maybe of maybe we can try and meet a cultural icon. Yeah, that would be good because <laughs> there there might be one in in the wings, perhaps if we there could we, be one sneaking around on the south bank if he's if he's returned to London on the bank side. You obviously, Mark. I think you knew that this this was a particular day yeah, where there was a, chose, yeah. you know, um, a fire at at the Globe Theatre. Yeah. Would you say that that's? Do we feel like that's a spoiler at this stage, or is yes. that? <laughs> <laughs> I thought we'd go to the theatre and, <coughs> <then might. laughs> and then it caught fire. And that would be a surprise. And it would be like, oh, hell, we've got to get out of here, <laughs> along with everybody else evacuating. Okay. It, it doesn't really understand spoilers no. and, and why they're yeah. bad. It's like, oh, 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 I know that one. I know that one. <laughs> but Maybe I, our, our objective is to have a good time. Yeah. yeah. And it could be we go to a tavern. I'm sure we'll go to a tavern or, or an alehouse. Mm. Or it could be that we go to a cockfight. Yeah. It could be any of those things. But okay. then in the end, we're going to cross London Bridge, which is going to be quite difficult, and go to, well, maybe we'll go first to bull baiting or bear baiting, and then, mm -hmm. then we maybe go to the theatre as well. And obviously we don't approve of bull baiting and bear baiting in this <laughs> We're not age, endorsing <laughs> in the 21st century the cruel and unpleasant activity or bull baiting. But, but that was very much a part of entertainment, wasn't it? It was by 21st century standards, by the way in which we think, Jacobean you know, and Elizabethan. So basically, let me just explain, we've shifted from the time of Queen Elizabeth I, this over four decades of the, the sort of great queen. She's died in 1603, and now we're in the time of King James I, her cousin who's come to the throne. And in those days, bull baiting, which was basically tying a bull up to a stake and then having sort of pit bull dogs fight with it, attack it. This was a great sport for the most of the uh, mm. people in Jacobean London. This was a good idea of an evening out, or actually mostly a day out, basically, because <laughs> yeah. it had yeah. to be done in the light because there's no, there's no artificial uh, light. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, yes. And cockfighting, people would do things like they would to entertain themselves in the streets. They would be maybe 50 metres away or 20 metres away. They would have a, a chicken, a cockerel, and they would throw stones at it. And the person who managed to kill it could actually go home and then eat it. <laughs> so, a, a, a brutal and bloody yes. uh, existence compared to the... Uh, well, it's a bit like pick your own strawberries, but... <laughs> absolutely. More visceral. Yes, it's not like going to Tesco for a chicken, yeah. is it? No. Or any other supermarkets are available. So, yeah. This was the kind of thing that you know, amused people and that they found fun. But, the, but there's also high culture as well, isn't there? There is. 
there is high culture, there is theatre, there is on the bank side, which is still there, it's the area on the other side from the city of London, the area between Southwark Cathedral and along that, the area they call the bank side. There were the theatres, what we could call the first purpose-built English theatres, that started actually on the other side of the river, close to where we are today. They started in, in an area just outside the city walls in, in Shoreditch, in Hoxton, and then Shakespeare's Globe Theatre, 1599, had joined another theatre that was already there called the Rose. So there was a Rose, the Swan, and the Globe Theatre. They would sometimes switch if they weren't doing well with the play. So mm-hmm. they're doing a play and it's just not very popular, not making much money. They would switch and they could bring the balls in, <laughs> <laughs> put the ball baiting on. Bring the bears in. And bears were actually, they were a valuable commodity. I'd love to do that. Like, you're at the cinema and it's like, oh, this, <laughs> this, this, is, this is rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> Quick, just yeah. get some dog fighting happening. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and there were some very famous bears. They didn't want the bears to get killed because the bears were valuable. Yeah. So they would have these sort of pit bull dogs that would attack the, the bears, and they, the bears would, they were staked to a post, and they would throw them away with their paws. They would chuck the dogs away that were trying to bite them. And the dog owners didn't want necessarily those dogs to be killed, so they had these sticks and they'd try and make them land so the dogs didn't get killed. It's given us some options. No, we don't have to do this. So it says, yeah, become a cultural icon. That means you'll need to leave an indelible mark on the arts or society of the time, a tall order, but certainly achievable for a savvy time traveller like yourself. It's given some options. To start your day, choose one of the following activities. Visit the Globe Theatre, witness the historic fire, and possibly help save some of Shakespeare's works. Two... Explore the local markets, mingle with the locals, learn about their lives and perhaps trade some goods. Or three, attend a royal audience. Try and gain an audience at the court of King James I, a place teeming with influential figures. Choose wisely, for each choice will lead you down a different path in your quest to become a... Well, I, I suggest at this point we could um, tell it who we are, who our protagonist is, yeah. and who the rest of the the party are. So I've queued up a bit of text. Okay. Obviously, you have to sign it all off. So I put, <laughs> my name is Mark. Don't give me spoilers of what's happening later on this day. For now, I don't think there's a fire happening just yet. <laughs> My mates Han and Ryan are going to join me for this day out. Is there any bull baiting or bear baiting happening today? Well, shall we make our way across London? Mm-hmm. So shall we work out where we are and then start to make our way across? I thought we might be on Fleet Street, which some people might know. Is that today. where we would start? I think we live on around live Fleet Street. On, let's give it that instruction then. I think we live on Fleet to... Street which is outside of the walls of the old city. So mm-hmm. just to explain, the city's 2,000 years old. It was founded by the Romans 2,000 years ago. And they built around it, the north side of the river, a semicircular wall. And that is where the authorities were. That is where most people lived inside the city walls. If you were lived outside the city walls, it meant you didn't have a, a curfew. You were less controlled by the authorities. Mm-hmm. And Fleet Street, which is just to the west of the city, that was being built up at these times, so houses were being built up. And I guess as single people, unless you're married, you can choose to be married if you want to, you probably live in sort of these houses that were being built up by landlords, classic, what we imagine Tudor-style wooden houses that were being mm. built up. And maybe lodging in there, there'll be multiple lodges inside the buildings. What kind of status could you have? London is very young. Most people are in their 20s. Mm. London has got more people dying in it than are born in it because what's happening is that the lands, the the, the farmland is being enclosed and people that formerly worked on that land can't earn any money Mm. and so they're turning up in London in their thousands and thousands. At this point, there's 250,000 people in London. It's the largest city in Britain and the largest city, one of the three largest cities in the world probably at this point. It's quite hard to make a living there. You can either be making a living as a sort of working person, a journeyman for three or four pennies a day. Maybe you've 
an apprentice. That means for seven years you're working for somebody and you're working for them at small amounts of money. May you get your lodgings as well. Or you could have then set up your own business having finished your apprenticeship. You could be a master butcher. I'm not going to say master baker too many times (laughs) because that could (laughs) could, could be perilous. I've said, my mates Tan and Ryan are going to join me for this day out. We live on Fleet Street. We want to wander down into the city and see the sights. What kind of status do we have? Welcome, Mark, along with Tan and Ryan. As residents of Fleet Street in the heart of 17th century London, you are most likely of the middle class, well-informed and connected enough to be aware of the happenings in your bustling city, yet not part of the nobility. This status offers you a unique perspective and access to the various facets of London life. Since you wish to wander down into the city and explore, let's see what sights and experiences await you on this day. Does that strike you as from what you were saying? That's possibly a bit of a surprise, not what we were expecting? I think we may not be middling sorts. (laughs) (laughs) But we can be. I mean, there would be some middling sorts. That's fine. Okay, so where where, where would you like to go? We can go to the River Thames, a hive of activity with merchants, fishermen and bustling docks. You might overhear news from abroad or engage in some lively banter. Mm -hmm. Sorry, barter. (laughs) Both. (laughs) Bit of both. Two, St. Paul's Cathedral. Although still under reconstruction after the Great Fire of 1561, it's a centre of religious and social activity. Here you can engage in philosophical debates or perhaps even assist in the ongoing construction efforts, leaving a mark on a historic landmark. Smithfield Market, a lively market known for its meat traders, it's also a place for public executions and spectacles. You might witness the darker side of London or find opportunities in trade. Or four, local taverns, ideal for gathering information, hearing the latest news, or even spreading your own tales. Taverns are where ideas flow as freely as ale. Where would you like to start your day, Mark? Well, we're on Fleet Street. Let's all set off together. And one thing that we have to do is we could go down to Smithfield. I think that's just on the outside of the city. Mm. But we've got to go from where we are into the city, okay? So we've got to go through the gate, basically. Ludgate, which is just at the bottom of where Fleet Street is. Be familiar with Fleet Street. So that's now Ludgate Circus, is that right? Yeah, just uh, just down that area, yes, basically. So we're going to go into the city there, along Fleet Street, into the city, and go through the gate and go up. And there's St. Paul's in front of us, not burnt down at that point. Yeah, like it is today. You walk up yeah, the hills, yeah. a little hill. The Romans yeah. built their city on two hills, Cornhill and Ludgate Hill. And there it is, the old church. I'm just going to ask you, what do you think it's like on the streets of Fleet Street? What uh, do you think it's like walking? I imagine horses and carts, fairly crowded, very dirty, lots of yeah. poo and wee and manure everywhere. There's some, of yeah. it, some of it's from horses, some of it's been chucked out of windows. Yeah, You've got to sort of keep your eyes, your wits about yeah. you. And you've probably got to keep your hands on your pockets. If we are middle class, as it tells us. Very good. Okay. But you haven't got any pockets. Oh, why not? What? Why not? Where do you keep your money? In like a sack. Some, some sort pouch. of money belt under my uh, clothes? Yeah, you're pretty much on it, Tan. Okay. okay. So pockets didn't really come into men's trousers. And there wasn't really trousers at that time. Okay. There was um, tights. Right. And little pants. Okay. <laughs> um, they didn't come really into the 1700s. Pocket comes from the French word poche, little pocket poche. Ah, okay. So what you had was a purse that you could either hang on your belt or around your neck. Okay. So they'd be like a little sack mm-hmm. with your money in on mm. two little cords, and that's where you kept your money. So hanging down here in front so of a, you. A little man purse. A little man bag. So, yes. Now, if you were an ordinary worker, you've only got a few pennies that you're earning every day, so mm. you have a very, very small amount of money. So your purse is not going to be very full, sadly. Okay. You're right, the streets are dirty. There's a few graveled streets, sometimes paved streets, but mostly they're mud. And the local people 
were made responsible for the maintenance of the streets. So you can imagine how much they didn't do that in London and Fleet Street. They would have probably done it in a little parish out in the countryside. But because there's so many newcomers and this influx of all kinds of different people, yes, lots of horse dung on the streets. And so what you would do is when you were walking along and you would try to walk closer to the walls of the houses, going to walk into the wall, it was called. So you'd walk to the wall because that way... You're right. If somebody chucks something out of a house... It's going to go over you. It's going to go over you. And also bear in mind that the houses from the ground floor kind of extended a little further into Mm. the street. So there are actually some places in the country, I don't know if this was true in Fleet Street, where because the houses were kind of extending over the streets, people could reach out from one side and shake hands with the neighbours on the other side of the road. There's a famous street in York... The shambles, I think. Yeah. It's to be like walking behind a waterfall then. <laughs> well, yes. Of course, there is this idea that people simply chucked waste into the streets. Did they do that? Well, would you put that in your own street? Mm-hmm. Mm. No. Probably not. And then their chamber pots, you know, the idea that you know, from the French word gardilla, look underneath, we get the word loo, which is probably not true. They would shock their chamber pots into the street. But would you, would you, were you going to throw a load of crap into the street where you're going to have to walk? I don't know. Yeah. I think Everyone else is doing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. How invested are you in your street? There's, um, <coughs> no, I don't know if it's true or not, but there's a, I think in like some slums in India, they basically have what they call the flying toilet. And basically there's no sanitation. So they have to just bag up their poo and they spin it around their head and just fling it as far away from them as they can. But of course, that means other people's poo is just being flying over, yeah. flung to you. It's like, oh, horrendous. Well, that's the point. <laughs> if you're not, you know, if you're only staying there for a few nights or something, or you're not, you don't really care. Mm. Bearing in mind, there were plenty of people that didn't have anywhere to live. There were people on the streets begging. They had to be licensed, by the way. You couldn't just turn oh, up in London and go, I'm going to go begging. So yeah. it's a bit like busking. It's like license. Yeah, license yes, exactly. <laughs> well, should, uh, we, should we find out, can we ask ChatGPT or Game Master to describe the streets and see if, uh, if we see these kind of things? So I put, let's head off through Ludgate, describe what we're wearing and the sights and smells we're seeing. Anything, mm-hmm. should I put anything else? I think that's good. There were lots of animals roaming in the streets as well. As you, Mark, along with Tan and Ryan, step out onto the cobbled streets of 17th century London, the morning air is crisp and filled with a mix of intriguing aromas. I bet it is. You're dressed in typical attire for middle-class men of the time. You, Mark, sporting a doublet of deep green wool, fastened neatly with simple but sturdy buttons. Over it, you wear a leather jerkin, providing both warmth and a bit of status. Your breeches are a durable brown fabric, tucked into knee-high leather boots. A flat cap sits atop your head, shielding your eyes from the morning sun. Bearing in mind, if you wanted to have your jerkin or your doublet patterned or sewn, you needed to probably have the equivalent of... So I should explain, what do people wear? They wear a doublet, which is like a jacket mm. with detachable sleeves. Mm-hmm. You got one of those, Tan. <laughs> I think I had one, didn't <laughs> I, recently? Yeah. The last episode, he was wearing something like that. Oh, I thought you were going <laughs> to... No, not, not in real you life. You weren't going to wear it today for the podcast. <laughs> Sadly not. I think next time I come, I want a doublet, minimally, okay. basically. So, and then little breeches, little pants, you okay. can see coming down here. Yeah. Hose, uh, which is not something that you use to walk to the garden. It's something that you wear. They're tights, basically. Men in tights. Yeah. And shoes made of leather, usually. And then in the winter, we're in the summer at the moment, you'd have a cloak. But you have a linen shirt underneath. Just the linen shirt costs the equivalent of a week's wages. So say somebody earns £400 now, mm. that's how much their shirts cost. Well, I'm f- reading from this, I think Tan obviously isn't earning as much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, tr- trying to imitate a fashionable cut. So yeah. what does what it, it got me wearing, It right? says uh, Tan wears a doublet of a more modest 
grey fabric under a well-worn brown cloak that's seen better days. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's right. His yeah. breeches are a lighter shade of brown and he wears sturdy practical shoes. A woolen cap completes his ensemble. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And uh, for me, it says, Ryan chooses a bit more flair with a blue doublet, slightly padded at the shoulders. His cloak is a lighter blue, almost matching his doublet. His breeches are black, contrasting with his attire, and he wears ankle boots. His head mm. is adorned with a wide-brimmed hat to give him a somewhat distinguished look. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know nice, out with you. It is. It does you're, sound a bit, you're a bit. You're a bit jaunty. It, it, it sounds as though I might. Um, I'm probably not as well to do as as both of you. So I, no. I, I'm not going to be buying the first round by the sound of it. <laughs> no. I'm going to be uh, tagging well, along. Yeah. So this is a worker's clothes, basically. Okay. That they need to be able to loosen up with whatever job they're doing. Yeah. So they'd have to loosen up their hose. It used to be that they also. It used to be there used to be the grand codpiece in Elizabethan times. Just here, they would have an enormous. Has that sort of died out by this stage? Yes, that's gone out of fashion. But during the Tudor times, that was a very fashionable thing to do. If you go to the Tower of London, you can see Henry VIII's armor. This was armor specifically made for the king. And it's got an enormous, enormous codpiece. <laughs> it's so, so sort of macho posturing, yeah, yeah. isn't it? So practical in case <laughs> yes. you get lanced there. <laughs> and sometimes in the in the sort of cloth codpieces, that's where yeah. men would keep their money, ah, keep their jewels okay. in their in their codpiece. Keep all their jewels together. No codpieces for us today. No, that's gone out. No. That's pretty much gone out of fashion. Elizabeth I didn't like the codpieces being in court and the men showing off their their big cod pieces so they went they've gone out but they're out of fashion now there's a new fashion with with the new king james the first and then your shoes by the way there's no left or right shoe at this point oh really gosh so yeah no there's no ergonomics in in, in no. footwear wow so who's the genius who came out guys I've, I've, I've just been thinking <laughs> these feet are different shapes why don't we yes. like adjust exactly there you go that could be the person that made their name and yeah. then i think yeah. it's a an bit era later. defining technology yeah. <laughs> the left yeah. so so when you see the pictures of henry the eighth you see him that there's these classic pictures that were made by holbein i'm sure you've seen them where he's got this enormous so, broad-shouldered yeah. and figure and they're standing like that, but their sort of feet are slightly turned out because they haven't got a left or right shoe. <laughs> I know somebody who was an actor, an actor and a guide, and there was a Henry VIII documentary on TV, and he was playing the kind of walkabout shots whilst the commentary is going over the top. Henry VIII walking down the corridor here, Henry VIII in Hampton Court there, and he was wearing a pair of these Tudor-style shoes, and he discovered that, that difficulty of walking when you haven't got a right or left shoe, which was so... So used to. Absolutely used to. And so one question we often ask is, if you were to arrive in this era to try, to try and make a name for yourself, like what, what would you try and invent? Would you try and invent the shoe? Or are there other things? We always go to, oh, I'd do penicillin, but no one really knows how to do it. Well, we've had a few options, haven't we? Right yeah. and left shoes. Would uh, you patent that? <laughs> <laughs> what else did we discuss? Well, the privy, yes. Well, in fact, they have already invented a flushing toilet. Ah. It's just that Elizabeth I was scared of it. There was a man <laughs> called Harrington invented a, a, a flushing toilet and installed one in the in um, in the Queen's Palace for Elizabeth I. But she got scared of it, and it wasn't practical in the end anyway. It mm. didn't have an S bend in it, so the, the stink uh, came up through it. Well, well should we ask what, what are our professions? Yeah, we'll definitely ask that. It's got a little bit more text though. So it's saying as you make your way through Ludgate, one of the principal entrances to the City of London, the sound of horse hooves clatters on stone streets mingling with the calls of street vendors selling their wares. The smell of fresh bread from nearby bakeries vies with the less pleasant odours of the city. The Thames, not too far away, carries both the life of the city and its refuse. Past various tradesmen opening their shops, blacksmiths, cobblers, tailors, all busy with their morning routines. 
The architecture is a mix of timber frame buildings with some jetting upper stories that almost touch across the narrow streets, with a few newer stone structures. People from all walks of life hustle and bustle about, from well-dressed merchants to labourers in simple tunics. You overhear snippets of conversation, gossips from court, complaints about the rising cost of ale, and excited chatter about a play to be performed at the Globe Theatre. This is London in all its chaotic, vibrant glory. Where would you like to go or do next in this lively city? So it's kind of given up, giving you options. It's like, oh, he's clearly just doing something. <laughs> so what would you tell me? Yes, yeah, so yeah. you're the boss. We're, we're, we're well, that's good. <laughs> the river that we've passed, the, the, the name Fleet Street comes from the River Fleet, which is one of the rivers that runs. Un, under, it, exactly. Is it like underneath? Yeah, uh, so, so if you um, walk down Fleet Street and then it dips down a little bit and that where that dip is, underneath there, now culverted underneath, is still the River Fleet and that runs into the River Thames. In the time that we are in London, mm. that was basically a public cesspit because all of the crap from the streets, all of the rubbish, dead animals just ended up in the River Fleet. And in fact, they created a public toilet, a multi-seat public toilet. or wouldn't lent over it. Well, no, it was, it was quite sophisticated. <laughs> okay. So basically you'd go in and they were, it was, a, I guess, a unisex, a non-gender specific toilet with seats, seats, seats out. And you would sit over that, you'd do your business, and it all ended up in the, in the fleet. And then so, that ended up in the River Thames. So you're right. Yes, it all ended up in the River Thames. Sounds like Reading Festival. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Very <laughs> yeah. precursor. Yes, yes it, was a, it was a Tudor portaloo, but not portable. This, it was so dirty that a contemporary uh, writer to William Shakespeare... Ben Johnson, wrote a, a, a poem to the River Fleet and how disgusting it was and how it emanated farts, basically. Ugh. And like, I'm, I'm guessing, like, cholera epidemics and stuff. Or... Yeah, cholera was pretty regular in London all the way through to the 1800s. Yeah. yeah, sanitation was that bad. Yes, it's quite a contentious issue, this. A question as to whether people drunk water. If you lived in a nice countryside place and you had a lovely, clean river flowing through village and past your house of course you drink that water maybe the well could be more problematic what if something fell in the well little animal falls and it's dead then you know it's bacteria, gonna, bacteria and, and diseases are going to spread they don't understand how diseases spread at this point they think they spread through the air and vapors they, and yeah something called the miasma they think mm, that de diseases come through the air if you're in a city however you're surrounded by polluted water and there was there was water that was being brought into the city on a on a culvert, sort of a, a, a big pipe that was bringing water into the city. But you were limited to the amount of water you were allowed to take from that. In fact, there were wardens who were just there to stop you from taking too much water. Mm. And this is a long explanation as to why people mostly drunk ale. <laughs> yes, did they get pissed? Let's go to the tavern later and find out. Yeah. <laughs> if, if we're, we're, where are we? We're on Fleet Street at the we, moment. We've just gone through Ludgate. We've gone, gone through, through Ludgate. Ludgate. We're in the city now. We're admiring the sights and sounds. Well, should we try and make our way towards, in the direction, try and get over the river? Yes. Would we find a tavern over the river? Or? We could find them either on this side or on the yeah. other side. Well, why don't I suggest, based, based on what you've described, Mark, why don't we try and get across the river and see how easy or hard okay. that is, and then find a tavern to, yeah. to find some entertainment for our boys' day out. We could do. We could, on the way, if you're a bit hungry... Uh, stop, I am. You're hungry. Yep. Stop at one of the markets and try and find something sweet. Let's do that. What are you anticipating might be on, on offer? Is street food? Um, lots of bread, lots of street food. Oysters, now very expensive, kind of thing mm. that you turn up in Harrods Food Hall for and 
pay? How much, how much do you pay? I don't know. I guess it's 30 quid for six would be my guess. Yeah, Let's yeah. find out. These were street food in the time that we'd gone back to into the early Jacobean period. Oysters were street food. Uh, you could get them out of the rivers easily. Eels as well. Oh. Eels were something that people yep. could get their hands Jelly on quite deals. easily. <laughs> so those were the sort of popular things that you could you could get hold of. Game Master's done its classic thing of gone into business planning mode, which it sometimes oh. does for yes. it's like, right. Maybe okay. we'll run a little store while we're there. <laughs> So I put, let's make our way towards the globe. We'd like to find a decent tavern across the river. How easy or hard would that be? And on the way, let's stop and try and find something to eat. What's on offer? Game Master says, Ah, journey towards the Globe Theatre, a beacon of Elizabethan drama and entertainment. Seeking a tavern near the globe is a wise choice. The area around the theatre, especially across the River Thames in Southwark, is teeming with taverns, each with its own character and clientele. And now, given us a section, crossing the river. Okay, crossing the river. Let's do that. Here's a challenge. (laughs) There's two ways of going across. Mm. One is to uh, go across uh, London Bridge, the medieval London Bridge, the old Mm. London Bridge. Not as easy as you might think. Or you could get a waterman, a ferryman, to uh, take us across. So why is it difficult to cross old London Bridge? Because... It's got 200 buildings on it. What? 200 buildings, mm. including right. a palace called Nonsuch, or house, big house, seven-story yeah. house called yeah. Nonsuch House, which was actually a, the first prefabricated building yeah. in this country. It was built, I think, in Flanders, in Holland, okay. brought to this country and assembled on the bridge. You've also got two little mills for grinding grain with water wheels. In this period, there's one bridge, and it's... Old London Bridge. So it made sense as, as the thoroughfare across the yes. river. This It was a natural place where people were trying to sell things. and When you get out on the other side, yeah, people were, were shops, they were selling things. And then when you get through to none such house, it's mm. really crowded because there's this like one archway there. Okay. And there are street sellers, there are cup purses, there are, everybody's there basically. And then when we get to the south side, if we manage to get through, it can take, I think it could take if it's busy, Half an hour, 45 mm. minutes to go across. And then on the south side of the bridge, if it wasn't bad enough that we had to push our way through, what is there at the gatehouse on the south side of the bridge? Spiked up on the top of the gatehouse are the executed heads of traitors. Yeah, it's a strong welcome to the mm. south. Exactly. Bank, welcome to London, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Do not misbehave yourself. Yeah. Because here is what happened to a whole bunch of people, okay. aristocrats usually, who misbehave themselves. It's not just there. There are other places where they spike heads. But, but it was an obvious spot. Yes. The people, the traitors who were executed at the Tower of London, actually outside the Tower of London on Tower Hill, and then their head is then placed up on the gatehouse on the south side of Tower Bridge. Yeah. Okay. As a warning, not to misbehave when you come into to London. Like a hedgehog of a porcupine of heads. Oh, yeah, hedgehogs is another thing that you could eat in London, by the way. <laughs> right? Apparently hedgehogs taste absolutely disgusting. Well, <laughs> I've been looking into this, and I can't work out. Hedgehogs were, poor animals were persecuted, because in the countryside they believed that the hedgehog would go and suckle and drink the milk of a cow. And obviously mm. that's a dairy cow and that would reduce the amount of milk you could get. So they were persecuted. And also aren't they um, dairy intolerant actually, ironically? Are they? Yeah. You're like, not supposed you, to feed the milk. Yeah. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, I mean it was a myth. They didn't obviously yeah. suckle on the teats yeah. of cows. But apparently <laughs> they are vicious and they will attack chickens. Are they? Yeah, they'll break yeah. into the hen hutch and uh, savage yeah. them. In the Tudor period, there were so many birds and animals that were persecuted, basically, that were hunted because they believed that, in the case of the hedgehog, that they suck milk and, and, and birds of prey and things like that. So red kites, which they reintroduced mm. now. 
that that was a massive setback in terms of the biodiversity. Should we ask, can we find out what the journey across London Bridge is like? Yes. Yeah. Whether there are any heads on display. Yeah. I'd be interested to hear what chat GPT says. Is it amazingly incisive or appallingly ignorant? That's my question. The atmosphere, the bridge was teeming with life and activity. The structure itself was a marvel, lined with buildings that seemed to jostle for space. The smells ranged from the tantalising aroma of fresh baked goods from the baker's shops to the less pleasant odours of fish from the river and the general musk of the busy city. So, like, this is all interesting good, but I was hoping it was to describe our, our, our particular walking, journey. Yeah, yes. across, you get, you get I, I jostled. Think, you I don't think we're going to get much more out no. of it. <laughs> oh, wait, you notice a preacher delivering a sermon to a small crowd while a group of musicians try to draw an audience with their lively tunes. Halfway across, you pause to look down the river. Boats of all sizes navigated the busy waters, ferrying goods and people. The view of the city from the bridge was breathtaking, with the Tower of London in one direction and the spires of churches dotting the skyline in the other. But on the way, it's saying, food on the way. On your way to the Globe, the streets of London offer a variety of food choices. Here's what you might find. Street food vendors selling pies filled with meats like pigeon, rabbit, or even lamprey. So that's eel. Lamprey, yeah, it's a kind of a, looks like a revolting sort of eel fish type thing. Yeah. Lamprey pies were what you gave to the, did you, yeah. that right? you presented that to the monarch if you were visiting the monarch? Not, um, not the one did very often. <laughs> pies were very, very popular in this period in the 1600s, the 1500s. They, they, they like to make lots of things in pies. Things that we wouldn't eat today. Magpies, they put in pies. Oof. Larks. So they'd stuff all kinds of meats that for ordinary people, especially you tan at the moment, yep. we've seen what you're <laughs> yep. wearing. You're not going to get access to meat. You yes. make some oysters, yes, okay. some eels, but beef, anything, any sort of traditional meats that we might think about now, beef, lamb and things like that, you're not going to get access That's to That's for it. the will to do. I, I'm a vegetarian, but not by choice. That's right. You yeah. are by de facto vegetarian by your wages, basically. What you might have is a pig. Ah, you might yeah. keep a pig because you could put a pig out in the streets and it would snuffle around mm, mm. and then poor pig, come autumn, Be slaughtered. is no longer pig and you could make some sausages that you could preserve through the winter. That would be a real big deal, though, the moment when you slaughter your pig, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. What would you have in terms of food? At home, you'd have something called pottage, which was you'd get lots of vegetables and put that in and boil it up and stew it up and keep mm. that going. Well, it's, it's also said there's bakeries offering freshly baked bread and pastries. Some might even have sweet treats like gingerbreads. And then in the alehouses or inns, you can get serving of more substantial fare, such as pottage, a thick vegetable stew, yeah. mm. sometimes meat, bread, cheese, and of course, ale. Uh, and then it's gone on to, to give us a choice of taverns we can attend. Once we get there. So once you've crossed the Thames and you're near the globe, there are several popular taverns with theatre-goers, actors and playwrights. A few notable ones include The Anchor, a bustling spot known for its strong ale and hearty food. That's still around. I feel like yeah. that's still yeah. It is around. It's still there. And The Swan, slightly more upscale, known mm. for its good wine selection, or The Mermaid Tavern, famed for being the hangout of poets and playwrights. Okay, so <laughs> first... I'd like a snack, something for the road, possibly. Keep me going. What do you fancy? Sausage? I'd actually like to just... Test. Uh, I'd like a swan burger or a swan pie, please. <laughs> and I'm hoping it's going to be able to say, ah, 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 you wouldn't be allowed that. Um, you could well be fined. Yeah, the swans, even swans today, in theory, are the property. On, swans on the Thames, on certain parts of the Thames, belong to the crown, the royal family, in that sense. In fact, they have a sort of tradition of counting the swans every year called swan upping. It sounds a bit. <laughs> swan upping. Swan upping. Swan upping. Yes. <laughs> 
it sounds slightly questionable, but that, that's just the name of the counting of the swans. Ah, well, I've, I've heard that swans are not particularly good eating either. No. You imagine it'd be like a goose, wouldn't you? ChatGPT is about to get another yellow card for right. historical inaccuracy. <laughs> what did it say? So I put, Tan would like a swan pie, please. Ryan would just eat some lamprey and Mark will eat some pastries. Uh, pasties. And then it says, ah, a diverse selection of Elizabethan delicacies for you and your mates. Let's find an appropriate place that serves these. You decide to stop at an alehouse close to the globe, known for catering to a variety of tastes. The atmosphere inside is warm and lively, filled with the sounds of conversation and the clinking of pewter mugs. In bold, Tan's Swan Pie. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> this is a special item, as swan is considered a royal bird and is not commonly found on menus. However, this alehouse, known for its connections and clientele, does serve a swan pie. Though in truth, it's more likely to be a goose or another large bird, as actual swan is reserved for royalty. No, that's correct. Well, that, so, so, so that's actually all right. It's kind yeah. of, you, you're, it's branded as a, yeah. a posh pie. Basically, it, basically, it's a dodgy inn that's saying, <laughs> your swan pie, sir. Yeah, yeah, and basically, it's some duck they've stuck in there. <laughs> yeah. The meat of kings and queens was deer meat, venison. And if we spot some venison on a market, then... There, there's something uh, Something's gone going wrong. On. They probably okay. swapped it for something else. Can I have a, a swan and uh, <laughs> venison burger? <laughs> so, yeah, so I've... Um, I, yeah, I, I, um, I, I pushed back to ChatGPT about the swan. It's like, oh, no, good point. Let's clarify the historical context regarding uh, the swan pie that Tan ordered. And then it was saying that that's all, that's all fine. And then it says, yeah, while Tan enjoys his swan pie, it's essentially a rich, hearty pie made with goose. You're still having swan pie. I'm still having swan pie, so-called. So it's goose. <laughs> and then in the, in, in the lively alehouse, Tan's choice of venison pie, reputed to be a venison and swan pie. So it's kind of <laughs> okay. just like, that's what they say it mm. is. Aligns with the taste of middle-class Londoners seeking a finer dining experience. It's served hot and fragrant and would be a sumptuous meal. After enjoying this hearty and luxurious meal, the question still stands. <laughs> would you like to engage with the actors from the Globe Theatre you overheard? Oh, I think I didn't read that bit up. Apparently you have overheard some axes from the Globe Theatre. Like, There's no one having any drink in this. We ought to have a drink, shouldn't we? Yes. Let's, let's, let's get some drinks. No one's having a drink in the in the alehouse. I just need to make a distinction here. Yeah. We've got alehouses and taverns and inns, and they're three different things. An inn is a place that you would stay overnight, like the coaching inns, you know, when you travel around the country mm -hmm. and you see those big buildings and there's an entranceway where you can see a coach Stables. could go in. Yeah. They were expensive places to stay, and there were lots in London. Then there are taverns. It's a famous one on East Cheap called The Boar's Head that features in Shakespeare. There they served generally wine, kind of sweetened, reinforced sherry called sack and things like that. So that would have been a wine bar. Uh, in yes. today's money. Yes, and, but it would have been more expensive than, a okay. than going into an ale house where they sold ale. Right. So that's, 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 your, that's your boozer, that's your rough and ready. Yeah, that is the, yeah, those are the ancestors of a modern pub, basically. Yeah. And because now we've got hops in, in Britain at this point, hops in England, so they're making beer. Ale was made without hops, beer was made with hops. Now we use those words interchangeably. And so if you're a, a craft beer nerd these days, you might be looking for a sort of piney, resiny, yes. West Coast American IPA type thing. That's right. Um, what, yeah, where can I get one of them? Where, <laughs> where, where can I get a punk IPA? Uh, what would a well, beer have tasted? Was it quite watery fare um, in those days, do we think? Well, ale, which is made without hops, that was a problem. Ales <laughs> were made with Groot. Groot? Okay. Yes. So you would add things like St. John's wort for flavouring to it. Okay. So it's made with barley and it's naturally fermented. 
Then what happens is that hops come into this country around the, the, the Tudor period, around, from the 1400s onwards. And hops also flavour the beer, mean that it can last for longer. You've got to sell your ale within two or three days, otherwise it's going to go off. So that used to be a distinction between beer and ale. Ale was quite cloudy. People used to, in ancient times, drink it through a straw to filter it. Uh, but now you've got tankards of, of beer, mm. basically. And so if we go into an ale house... You've got a choice of ales. I've, here's some ale names. I should mention there are different strengths. There's single, there's double, and there's double-double. And in fact, Elizabeth had banned, Queen Elizabeth I had banned double-double because it was double-double trouble, 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 basically. <laughs> People okay. were completely smashed. Right, interesting. Here are the names of some of the ales that okay. you can drink. Mad Dog, Father Horson, Angel's Food, Dragon's Milk, Go By The Wall, Stride Wide, Lift Leg and Dagger Ale. What amazing beer names. <laughs> I like Go By The Wall. You're just like, get out, go, go stand by the wall. <laughs> well, I wonder if Go By The Wall is this, because we did talk about walking down the streets, and when walking mm. down the streets, people would go to the wall. But if you saw somebody of a higher status than you coming towards you, a gentleman, you can mm. tell by the way they're dressed. We've seen... Not tan. Not, uh, not tan, no. <laughs> no. They've got the, the velvets and furs, which... In the Elizabethan period, if you were not of the correct status, you could be fined for wearing right. the wrong clothes. And, but if you saw somebody of that status walking along the wall and you were wearing your cheap hose, you'd have yeah. to move into the middle of the road. Okay. Risk okay. if anybody did chuck something out from the second floor yeah. onto your head. <laughs> well, so, I was wondering, could I order a pint of Mad Dog? Because uh, that sounds like it's possibly a double-double, but who knows? What would you have, Mark? I'm going to have stride wide. <laughs> stride wide. Uh, what are you going to drink, right? Uh, well, I'll have a by the wall. Ah, uh, posh. What are you having? By the, uh, I'll have a by the wall. I'm going to put money on the fact that just about every modern craft ale maker has taken these names now. Yeah, they, they sound very uh, craft <laughs> yeah. beer, don't they? Yeah. I don't think ChatGPT's heard of these. In the bustling atmosphere of the alehouse near the Globe Theatre, your thirst leads you to order some intriguingly named beverages. Let's delve into what these drinks might entail in the context of 17th century London. Tan's Mad Dog. The name Mad Dog suggests a strong, perhaps even a bit of a rough drink. It's likely a type of ale or beer, quite potent in alcohol content. In this era, beers and ales were common, and each tavern often had their own unique brews with colourful names. The Mad Dog would be a choice for someone looking for a robust, perhaps even a bit aggressive drinking experience. <laughs> <laughs> this evening's going to end badly for Tan. It, it, does, it does sound like it, doesn't it? Yeah. Mark's Stride Wide. Stride Wide sounds like a drink with a bit of a kick to it, possibly a reference to the effect it has on one's gait after a few pints. So it's kind of, it doesn't really know, it's just sort of explaining based on what it's hearing. It's, yeah, it's sort it of hasn't done guessing. any revision and it's blagging its exam <laughs> at the end. That's what it sounds like to me. It could be a type of beer with a distinct flavour, perhaps with added spices or a unique brewing method, making it a speciality of this particular tavern. Ryan's Go By The Wool. The name Go By The Wool evokes an image of a drink that's best enjoyed slowly, Perhaps because of its strength or richness, it could be a strong ale or a fortified wine, something to be sipped. Oh, basically, it, has no it idea. doesn't know. It, it doesn't know the, uh, the um, background. You see, I think if you have enough mad dogs, you're going to end up with dagger ale at the end. Yeah. <laughs> what else is happening in the tavern? Well, it's 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 pushing you to chat to these actors. So the thing is, what, I'm just wondering before we get to chat to the yeah. actors, so what, what else? What other attractions are there? Yeah, I, I think there's definitely things like cockfighting going on in the pubs. There's certainly sex workers in the pubs. Absolutely full up with that. That music, somebody playing music, and people trying to rob you almost certainly. Cut purses. 
In the lively tavern near the Globe Theatre, there is a rich tapestry. We, we've already got across the river, by the way. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah it sounds like it was just a time <laughs> jump has happened. <laughs> a rich tapestry of activities and characters all contributing to the vibrant atmosphere of 17th century London. Here's a glimpse of what might be happening around you. Number one, a group of actors <laughs> in one corner, a group of actors from okay. the Globe Theatre, animatedly discussing their upcoming performance. They're practising lines, gesturing dramatically, and occasionally breaking into laughter. Their conversation is a mix of theatrical jargon, gossip about fellow actors, and opinions on the latest plays. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, merchants and traders are occupying several tables, taking a break from their dealings. They're engaged in discussions over maps and ledgers, negotiating deals or sharing news from other parts of England and abroad. The air around them is thick with the smell of tobacco and the sound of clinking coins. Tobacco. Uh, that's a good one. Yeah. There's local gossipers, <laughs> uh, musicians... A game of chance. Near the bar, a heated game of dice is underway. Small crowd has gathered around the players. There's a storyteller, an elderly man, perhaps a retired sailor, judging by his attire and weathered appearance, is regaling a group of wide-eyed listeners with tales of the sea. And then there's the staff, the tavern keeper and the staff, a robust, jovial figure, busy overseeing the operations. So, yeah. It's given us a few things there. A few things. Yeah. There. Definitely lots of games. Things like shove halfpenny and dice, which yeah. people mm. would bet on. Yeah. And I'm worried about Tan because he's had Mad Dog and there are gambling hustlers in the corner and they will swindle a tipsy merrymaker by using loaded dice to rig the games. Well, I, I'm feeling confident, so I would like to place a lavish bet on a game of dice, and I'd, I'd like to make a bold boast as I sit down. I'd like to tell I'm the best diceman in London. <laughs> the luckiest diceman in London. Ah, Tan, emboldened by three pints of the potent mad dog ready to make his mark in the tavern. His declaration, I'm the best, luckiest diceman in London, turns heads and raises eyebrows amongst the tavern's patrons. Players at the dice game, intrigued by this bold newcomer, welcome the challenge and the possibility of a lavish bet. The players are a mix of seasoned gamblers and casual players. They size up town with a mix of amusement and curiosity. <laughs> Sounds about right. The current game seems to have moderate stakes, but with Tan's announcement, there's an air of excitement and anticipation. The players are more willing to raise the stakes for the thrill of a high-stakes game. The crowd gathered around the game, drawn by Tan's boast. They're a mix of supportive, sceptical, and purely entertained by the prospect of this bold claim. I'm sensing it's going to let me win an enormous fortune here, and I'm not going to get fleeced. But, <laughs> but I think that's very unlikely if, if this were to really happen. Well, dice games in this era are typically straightforward, relying more on luck than skill. The outcome is highly unpredictable, adding to the excitement and tension surrounding Tan's bold claim. The impact. Should Tan win, he'll not only gain a tidy sum, but also bolster his reputation in the tavern as a man of luck and bravado. <laughs> this could lead to new connections or opportunities, especially amongst okay. the more adventurous or risk-taking crowd. But a loss, meanwhile, will take a hit to the purse. Could still work in favour of building a reputation. Tan's willingness to take risks and his confidence could be admired or seen as entertaining, keeping you in good standing. So, so it's basically explaining what, a yeah, what gambling yeah. is. I know, I know what gambling is. So, well, now it's saying the dice are in your hands. Everyone's waiting with bated breath. How much are you wagering? And do you have any particular strategy or are you relying on pure luck? So what, what I'm going to do is, I, how, how much do we think I might have in my purse? Well, I few... think you've got, that's, maybe you've saved up. So you've got like 12 pennies. Okay. So and, I, gonna, and just just bear in mind, yeah. when we get to the theatre, that's a penny to go in. So okay. I'd like to, I'd like to wager I'd like to wager six pennies, and my strategy oh. is going to be to roll the dice as hard as I possibly can. He's gone big because that's over a day's wages, <laughs> and I'm going to blow on the dice as they hit the table. Luck. What do you mean, blowing on the dice and throwing them as hard as you can? 
I'm going to throw them as hard as I can and then blow after them. Are you going to blow up? Okay. Yeah, it's for extra power. <laughs> uh, and presumably they would see me coming a mile off. I, I'd be taken to the cleaners if this were in real life. I think they, they're in the alehouse. Yep. They've seen us come in. These bunch of lads, basically, on a day out, they've got money in their purse and they're going to try and take it from you in any way they can. Tan's daring wager of six pennies, a considerable sum equivalent to more than a day's wages for many in this era, certainly adds to the drama and excitement <laughs> at the dice table. His method of throwing the dice with gusto and then blowing on them for added boost of luck draws a mixture of chuckles and impressed glances from the surrounding I don't, crowd. No one would be impressed by that. <laughs> the roll. Tan's throw is vigorous, the dice clattering loudly on the wooden table, spinning wildly before coming to a stop. The tavern holds its breath as the dice settle. The outcome of the dice roll is crucial. Yes. It could, yes, come on, get to the point. It could either elevate Tan as lucky and daring figure in the tavern, winning him not only his wager, but also respect and potential contacts. Or it could serve as a humble lesson in the fickle nature of luck. You've got a bunch of Coney cousiners in the corner who are basically there to, to cheat you, to take your money. Well, this is, this is quite, quite dry. It's saying, let's roll the dice. The dice rolls results are in. Tan rolled a five and a four making a total of nine. This is a fairly strong roll in many dice game, showing that Tan's dramatic throw and his subsequent luck-enhancing blow might have indeed worked in his favour. Wow, it's, this is going on for ages. Like it's, <laughs> I won't read it all. It's no, okay. It's, it's getting, getting reactions from the crowd. Uh, you've got your reputation has been enhanced. Okay. Um, have I made any money? <laughs> the, the opponent's roll results are in four and three, totaling seven. Tan's roll of nine stands victorious. The outcome is Tan wins. Yes. He wins the bet. His gamble pays off, doubling his wager of six pennies. Crowd are cheering with some good-natured groans. They're impressed with your luck and bravado. And you've got a reputation that's having firmly established as a man of both daring and fortune. Well, there you go. It's, it sounds like I've uh, somehow avoided the, the weighted dice, but I'm now marked as a drunkard with a heavy purse. Yes. Who, who might be... Uh, <laughs> I think, man, we go outside. We've got to keep our... Trouble. How much have we won now? So I, I won six pennies, so, so I doubled, six doubled pennies. my wager. So yeah. we now we are flush with yeah. money now. You put money in your purse. What else could you get in the tavern? Well, you could get some tobacco. I'd certainly like to get some tobacco. How about you, Ron? I've, yeah. I've, had, I've had a bit of a... Um, maybe tobacco could be your thing. <laughs> you, you've had the dice. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's been introduced in the... Well, the, the, the legend, isn't it? The legend of tobacco is that it's been introduced by Sir Walter Raleigh in 1580s, 1586, mm. from the burgeoning, what we now call British Empire, the colony in Virginia. So now you've got tobacco for sale, but it's usually quite expensive for ordinary people in its mm. first mm. 40 or 50 years in this country. People would buy it in clay pipes, so you actually buy the pipe with the tobacco right. in it. So there's clay pipes with the tobacco Sort of like a it. disposable vape. Yes, put in yeah. A... So it, sometimes when you go along the River Thames nowadays, you'll see, and you can do it yourself if you want to, the area where the Globe Theatre is in front mm. of there, along the shoreline, you'll see what we call colloquially mudlarkers or shoreline archaeologists. And you can go along yourself and the Thames stirs up every tide that comes in and out, stirs up all kinds of pieces of history. And one of the things that you can find, and I found one, is a little Tudor clay pipe. Fantastic. Wow. What, what an extraordinary thing to have passed through yeah. the centuries. So maybe that was Tan's pipe. <laughs> he'd, smoked, he'd smoked his tobacco and thrown it in the river. <laughs> well, I guess what's the plan now? Because um, So we've got money. We've got money. We've, yeah. we've wetted our whistles. You've had, 
How many pints of Mad Dog did you have? At least three. Three pints of Mad Dog. <laughs> yeah. Are you going to have a pee before you leave, or are you going to? No, I'll just chance it in the theatre. Right. I don't want to be late for this. Okay, the well, we'll we'll come back to the we'll come back okay. to that when we get to the theatre. There's an important discussion to be had about lose, indeed, or the lack of them. By the way, we're going to see the play at two o'clock in the afternoon. Right. So you've got drunk in the morning. By the yep. way. Yep. <laughs> yep. 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 That sounds very typical. Very uh, typical. typical time. You've got drunk in the morning. The play yep. starts around two o'clock because it's. Kay. We'll come to that in a minute with the entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> We're going across to the entertainment district, and in the entertainment district on the south side, there are three theatres, at least three theatres, and the ball baiting and other entertainments, and yep. the brothels known as stews. So you imagine ten thousand people have to then go back across that one bridge and. <laughs> It's going to close at around eight or nine o'clock because there'll be oh, a curfew. Because that's into the that's taking you into the city. The city yeah. has a curfew. So what if you got stuck on the south side and you were? Well, let's see what happens yep. later. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So this is saying should we head straight to the globe? Or is there anything else we want to do? Along well, we're going to pass Southwark Cathedral, which is still there today. It's one okay. of the buildings that you would recognise if you lived in the 1500s and you were in a time machine forward to now. So Southwark Cathedral is there, and that's the Actors' Church because that's close to all of the theatres. Mm-hmm. But we've come to the Bankside, which is this great entertainment district. It's a mm. combination of blood sports, brothels, stews, where, where the prostitutes were known as Winchester geese. <laughs> Winchester Why geese. were they known as Winchester okay. geese? This is a liberty, this area here. That means okay. that the, the area has got no authority. It's not got a parish authority, and it's obviously okay. not in the city. Okay. Yeah. There are several liberties around, and that means basically you're not subject to the laws you would be in the city okay. or in another parish so anything goes, really? Yes. But the people that owned a stretch of land here and were the bishops of Winchester, and they controlled the area and they licensed the prostitutes, which is one of the reasons they're known as Winchester geese. Why geese? Because there's two possible explanations for that. One is that they would stand along the river with white gloves on to wave in clients, and the other is that they kind of ex- they had these sort of exposed breasts, basically, that looked like a sort of gooses what would you call that down at the front the yeah. gooses white feathers white feathers yes it looked like a goose's white feathers at the front basically and it's worth thinking about the fact that if a woman couldn't make money or what you know hadn't got married didn't have or lost the husband and had to support herself and didn't have a business prostitution was really the only way that they could sustain themselves and they were licensed and taxed or they were taxed by the bishops of Winchester. Extraordinary, it's, it's isn't it? extraordinary hypocrisy yeah. <laughs> that yeah. was going on there. Absolutely. So that was there. And they would end up in the theatre as well. So they were okay. up and down. And then we mentioned the bear baiting and the bull baiting. It really was an extraordinary area of both entertainments and nighttime or daytime, nighttime activities. Okay. Basically. There's like a, I don't know if this was already... Was it still in use? But there's like a, a, a little prison called the Clink or something. Yeah, so the Clink was an ecclesiastical prison. And that, they were uh, still using it at this time, were they? Yes. So this was, I think it was more in its heyday before the Reformation, so before the time that Henry VIII yeah. left the Church of Rome, so in the 1530s, when you would have had monastic settlements there. Because the clink, which gives us the word, modern word for the prison, basically, yeah. the yeah. clink, the sound of the chains, was for naughty monks and naughty priests, okay. basically. <laughs> <laughs> So I've put, let's pass Southwark Cathedral and arrive at the Bankside. Any Winchester geese around? Are there any blood sports going? Well, we could go to see some bear baiting. Let's do that. When when in Rome? 
And because yeah, yeah. you're quite flush now, town, so, so you're going to yeah. pay for the rest of us to go go and um, have a have a watch. Do you, do you bet on that sort of thing? You probably yes. have a bet. Don't yeah, you? that's the point. I think yeah. the point is you. Bet. They love betting. I think they would bet on on the dogs yeah. and the bear. It's kind of just giving a similar description to to what you have. It's saying as you make your way through the lively streets of Southwark, heading towards the Bankside, your path takes you past the majestic Southwark Cathedral. Its Gothic architecture stands in stark contrast to the busy, somewhat raucous environment in this part of London. Southwark, known for its less stringent regulations compared to the city of London proper, is a place of varied entertainment and notorious reputations. Hmm. The term Winchester geese was colloquially used to refer to prostitutes who worked in the brothels of the area, which were licensed by the Bishop of Winchester. Oh, okay, well, that's, yeah. that's a tick for chat GPT. Well, yeah. It's sort of uh, <laughs> yes, we're it's got, got itself right there. AI has got amazingly incisive there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whilst you notice such figures in the periphery, their presence is part of the tapestry of Southwark's diverse and often bawdy character. Southwark and the Bankside were known for certain blood sports, popular forms of entertainment in the area. As you near the Bankside, you might encounter bear baiting. The bear baiting arenas where bears were tied up to a stake and set upon by dogs were brutal but popular spectacles. Or cockfighting, less grand in scale but equally popular. These sports, whilst distasteful to modern sensibilities, were an integral part of entertainment for many in the 17th century. They offer a glimpse into the harsher aspects of historical leisure activities. As you approach the Globe Theatre, the sound of the crowd and anticipation of the afternoon's play starts to overshadow the other attractions of the Bankside. However, the choice is yours. Would you like to pause and witness one of these blood sports, or shall we continue directly to the Globe, where a different kind of drama awaits? What do you think, Mark? Your story? Well, I've described the, the bear baiting, haven't I? I will yeah. just say one thing. There's an interesting connection between the theatres uh, and the bear baiting, and that is that in Shakespeare's play, A Winter's Tale, it's one of his later plays, there's a line which says, exit pursued by a bear. It's a stage direction. There was a famous bear, a famous fighting bear called Sackerson, who people would go along to see, assume that Sackerson had won many, many, many fights. Yeah and to become a bit of a celebrity around London. So people deliberately made a point of going to see the dogs fighting with Sackerson. <laughs> Shakespeare was an expert at playing both the highbrow audience mm. and the popular audience. Yeah. And he might have thought, or they might have thought, and I just explain that Shakespeare's a, he, he's a part owner of the Globe. He's a shareholder. Okay. He owns about 12% of the, the business. They might have thought, do you know what? Let's stick a bear in, <laughs> in the show. Just to make it popular, you know, yeah. spread around London. There's a bear appearing on the in one of the plays, basically. <laughs> okay. It's unlikely because it's very difficult to um, incorporate. Well, so, so would that be the equivalent of like a, an A-list celebrity carrying the film? Yeah. Where you put it on the, on the credits. Yeah. <laughs> Just put this bear up. Yeah, or it would be if there were, is, is there any celebrity animals in this world today? I don't know if it would be equivalent of roping in. I don't know. Yeah, maybe bringing in a panda from the zoo. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what the current names of the pandas are, but if there's a famous panda in London Zoo, it's a bit like as if there was an animal today. I can't think of it. Can you think of any famous animals? Well, Knut the polar bear, but he's he's R.I.P. now. He was yeah. a German polar um, bear. I can't think of who, uh, a yeah. more famous animal at the moment. Yeah, so it's as if they were a famous... the number 10 cat. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's, it's exactly. It's as if somebody said, do you know what? Let's go and get Larry and put them... Larry mm. the Downing Street cat and put them in a film... Yeah, I don't think it would be enough to make me want to go and see a play or a film if, if Larry, the yeah. <laughs> number 10 cat, were there. But in those have, days... Just have a look how many followers Larry's got. Probably got, quite a lot, probably yeah. got a lot Larry's very, followers. very popular. Arguably more popular than the person who lives in the house with him. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I think if you put Larry the cat in a, in a, in a film, it would be very right. popular. I'm sure you're right, yeah. actually. It's the same, yeah. it's the same idea, basically. 
So yeah, so there's there's the bear fighting. It's horrible. So a quick look. Maybe no bets because we want to. I, I, I'm <laughs> my hangover is starting to kick in, and I want to get to the uh, theater yeah. before I feel all yeah. <laughs> Okay. So yeah, so I, I did actually ask it: Are there any famous bears? And it it wasn't able to come up with any individual names, but it's gone on to sort of reiterate the spectacle was brutal and violent, mm. reflecting the year's different attitudes toward animal welfare. Uh, you notice a particularly large crowd and hear the name of a bear being chanted or mentioned oh, like of that, fear yeah. and admiration. So I put, because it's saying uh, you're walking past a bear, basically there is a crowd, they're chanting a name. Would you like to take a close look? And I just put, is that Sackerson I hear? <laughs> and the uh, game master's gone, ah, Sackerson. Now there's a name that rings through the annals of bear baiting history. Indeed, Sackerson was a famous bear in the Elizabethan and early Stuart periods. The bear was well known in London, particularly for its size and ferocity, and became something of a celebrity in its own right. There oh. you go, yeah. Mentioned in Shakespeare's The Merry Wives of Windsor, Saxon's fame extended beyond the bear baiting pits. The bear was part of popular culture at the time, a testament to the widespread appeal of bear baiting as an entertainment. As you near the bear baiting arena, the chants and shouts of Sackerson confirm that that is indeed. Oh, how, how good. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe we should go and meet Sackerson then. <laughs> A meet and greet with Sackerson. A meet and greet with Sackerson, yeah. Because we were trying to meet some celebrities. And he's and the closest we've got so far. He's a big time bear. Okay. Um, I'd like to ride Sackerson. I know that's probably, I a, think uh, that's that's probably a, illegal. That's a poor, poor choice <laughs> for many reasons. I like the idea that people are chanting Sackerson, Sackerson. Mm. Football did exist in Tudor times, existed for medieval times. Basically, it was a giant fight between villages and at various times had been oppressed because the kings wanted people to practice archery and not kill themselves in the football game. But I think now we're moving on to the theatre, aren't we? I think so, yeah. Yes, we are, yeah. Although, <laughs> before we go, I did put, Mark and Ryan have brought some mad dogs with them and ensured that Tan has drunk even more potent ale. Tan would like to jump into the pit and fight... Sackerson, oh God. <laughs> okay. Ah, yeah, I think we're going to have to pull him out. <laughs> ah, Tan's adventurous spirit, fueled by the potent Mad Dog Ales, has reached new heights. However, as your guide and guardian of, of historical authenticity and safety in this adventure, Quite important, I must counsel against such a dangerous and mm. frankly anachronistic course of action. Jumping into a bear baiting pit, especially to engage with a bear as formidable as Sackerson, will not only be life-threatening, but would be completely out of place in the context of the 17th century England. Okay. Such an act would lead to immediate and severe consequences. Well, yeah, I, do, I, I, think, do, I think, think you're, we, right. you're right, Mark. Fight, I think, fighting the bear is not on. No, I think we've had to pull you out from yeah. fighting the bear. Yeah. It would have been quite a sight to see a human trying to fight the bear. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know that there's any precedent for that in history. Uh, a very it's, it's, quick it's offered spectacle. you some, some slightly more PG things. It said yeah. you could take a you could bet or you can engage in some raucous cheering. Or <laughs> I'd like to just cheer as we walk away to the yeah, theatre, yeah. I think. So instead of dogs attacking the bear, it's Tan full of mad dog attacking the bear, basically. I think so, yeah. trying to, but then being barred. Yes, well pulled out. <laughs> so we've taken him out and we've gone down to the theatre now. There's a, there's a very good reason that the theatres are not inside the city of London, and that mm. is that the people inside, the authorities inside the city, don't like the theatres at all because today's Saturday... We should be at work. Right. Sunday is a day off. Yeah. But the normal working pattern for people is at light, they go to work, work the morning, then go have a lunch break, and then go back to work in the afternoon. If you are an apprentice working in the city and you suddenly decide you're going to go to the theatre, and the theatres are playing virtually every day, they're taking you away from work. So they hated the whole idea of the theatre, and they hated the actors because the actors would pretend to be other people. Yeah. 
Right. <laughs> and there's yeah. a very strong Puritan sentiment in the city and they think the actors are liars because they're pretending to be other people. Gosh. And they also think the theatre spread diseases, people get drunk in the theatre and all of these things. So, which, yeah. which, well, the, the drinking bit is true. We'll come to that in a minute. <laughs> but the question is, when we're on the north side of the river... How do we know that there's a play on in the theatre? How would we have known? Hear the cheering? I don't know. Fireworks? They would put a flag up over the theatre. They would send the flag up. Because many people here are not literate. So it's no good putting a poster out, a Midsummer Night's Dream, new rom-com by William Shakespeare. Mm. So they see the flag, and they go, oh, they know the play is on. And at that point, they're trying to pile across the bridge or get in a little ferry to take them across. Were people just arriving throughout the play? I think so. I think they would often have like a musical entertainment at the beginning. Yeah and then a musical entertainment at the end, and then have the play. But we've got to get into the theatre first, yeah. and we're going to have to pay to go inside. So, well, I, I studied Shakespeare at school, and the, the main yeah. thing I uh, remember from it is that, especially in the first act, it's very there's a lot of exposition, mm. and it's very repetitious. And I think that's because people were coming in late quite drunk right. and they kept saying what what's happened <laughs> and to just sort of stop That's, people talking yeah. basically shakespeare had a lot of things being making it really clear what the plot is right. so that everyone yeah. even if they were drunk and chatting yeah. they, they'd get yeah. the gist yeah is that about that well i think shakespeare was a very skilled writer and he gets straight into it so if you think about the beginning macbeth you get straight into the storyline mm. of him seeing the witches and the predictions and things like that but we've got to get into the yeah. theater and we're gonna have to yeah. pay Yes. And so how does it work? Well, when you go in, there's a person with a ceramic box, one of the staff of the theatre, as we call them now, and you put one penny in the ceramic box and that gives you the right to stand up in the yard, basically. Okay. So there's a standing area. If you wanted to sit down, you need to pay another penny and mm. you go into the galleried areas where you could sit down. And if you wanted to sit in a comfortable seat, you could pay another penny and get a cushion, basically. I'm feeling exceptionally flush, yeah. so yeah. I'd like yeah. to I'd like to buy all my friends' cushions to sit on. <laughs> well, that's that's three pennies each, isn't it? So it's nine, a nine penny pennies. to go in, penny into the gallery, and a penny for the cushion. So I put. Let's back away from the bear and head to the Globe for the show. How much will that cost? <laughs> yeah. And it said heading to the Globe Theatre for a performance is a wise and culturally rich choice. The Globe, known for its plays and lively atmosphere, is an iconic part of London's theatrical scene in the 17th century. And it's in yes, it's saying it's a penny seated or private boxes for those who could afford it they're available at higher price offering the best views and more exclusive experience then it says given that you and your mates have been engaging in various activities and tan has won a tidy sum from his dice game you should have enough to choose it's describing our journey to the play sounds the city fade replaced by a buzz of eager audience the theater's architecture with its open roof and circular design obviously unique so how do you like to see okay so luxury okay. please luxury please yes so you're I, I'm sort of boasting. Subbing now. ass. Yeah, yeah. Because you've had a lot of mad dog. A lot of mad dog, and I'm feeling flush after my win on yeah. the dice. Yeah, you're feeling good. So yeah. we we've we would normally we'd have been in the yard. Normally we'd have been the people who paid one penny to stand in the th- to stand the, the throng. Yeah. So the, yeah. The, the the stage is sort of we're in the open if we're standing outside. By the way, the gallery people are covered and the stage is covered. So if it rains. That's just bad if luck. it rains, we get wet, basically. Mm. And this is full of the ordinary people of London. A lot of these hot-headed youths who've seen the plays on and they've piled across, and they paid a penny. Now, bearing in mind that probably mm. got one set of working clothes, yeah. people often question whether people bathed or washed mm. in Tudor mm. and Jacobean times. They did clean themselves. They tried to clean themselves by rubbing linen into themselves and right. tried to wash okay. themselves. But 
if your shirt costs a week's wages, two weeks wages, you're really only going to have one shirt in operation. So what you're saying, Mark, is this going to be called a smelly affair? They were known as the penny stinkers. (laughs) (laughs) People in the yard, groundlings, either groundlings, known as the penny stinkers. We have have divorced ourselves from the penny stinkers by going up into the gallery. Thank God. With the people with a bit more money. Okay. And there were all kinds of, of, of merchants and sellers in the theatre. Snack sellers, basically. Or beer sellers. A very exotic piece of fruit would be an orange. Because obviously mm. oranges don't grow mm. natively in this country. If you could get, if you could get hold of a, of a citrus fruit and you could have that and hold it underneath your nose. Or maybe some to lavender. Block out to block the smell yeah. of the penny stinkers, basically. <laughs> okay. Excellent. Now, Pans had... Quite a few drinks of Mad Dog. Yeah. And so he's going to need to, halfway through, he suddenly needs to go to the for a pee. Yes. Yeah. He needs to go for a pee. There's no toilet there. He's got two choices. One is to go out. Oh, I, don't, and, I don't want to miss anything. And have a, and use the river okay. as a facility. Or there was probably a bucket that was mm. going around. Past the bucket. Past the bucket. Pee in well, the bucket. I was saying, Tan's bladder's pretty full halfway through. Is there a bucket? It's <laughs> <That's laughs> nice and simple. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't want to miss any of the play. Yeah, I, I think bring the buckets back for cinemas. <laughs> That's probably a bit much, isn't it? Are we able to find out what what play is on as well? So you would do you know what play we would have yes, expected to see? I know what play we're going to see. Ah, okay. Now this has been very vague. It said it says the atmosphere in the Globe is electrifying. The air buzzes with anticipation. The murmurs of the audience mixing with the sound of actors preparing backstage. As the play begins, you're drawn into the world of Shakespearean drama. The play captures the essence of the era. It could be a tragedy filled with dramatic turns. So it doesn't know. It doesn't know. It what. knows what day. Have we told it the day? We have. Yes. Yeah. Whether or not it's forgotten. I'm afraid it's. That's, that's, a, that's, a, a, that's a negative a, that's mark. That's not amazingly incisive, I'm mm, afraid. No. Yeah. That's appallingly ignorant. <laughs> <laughs> and then I said, Tan's blood is pretty full. Is there a bucket? In the 17th century, facilities at places like the Globe were quite rudimentary compared to modern standards. Options for tan. Number one, using a bucket. It wasn't uncommon for some areas of the theatre or other public places to have buckets or chamber pots for this purpose, especially in the galleries or private boxes. However, their availability and their cleanliness would be pretty questionable. Yeah. No problem. No problem. Quick trip outside or enduring till the end of the play. So a bucket, please. <laughs> bucket, please. And what play, what play is it? Oh, oh, oh I know uh, what play is. I'm going to tell you in a minute. We, yeah. <laughs> It definitely doesn't know what plays it. Uh, it if I ask it again, it, it probably would. Let's, let's, let's see, shall we? Okay. Um, Bucket, please, and what's the play? Oh, but there's snacks as well. There's beer sellers in there. There's ale sellers. We're going to come to ale in a minute. Okay. There are other things that you can have. Shellfish, we mentioned. Oysters, clams, periwinkles. Mussels. Like, mussels. Oh. You can have mussels. The cockles and mussels would cockles be the, and the mussels. thing. And these they? were all cheap. And there were lots of nuts. The yard, by the way, where the groundlings are standing penny stinkers that could get a bit muddy if it rained as it worked out what play is going on yet? it says on june the 29th 1613 the play being performed at the globe theater was none other than william shakespeare's henry the eighth yes it's correct okay. so the the play is known as it's about henry the eighth or it's, its alternative title is all is true and it's a play set at the time when henry the eighth is trying to arrange for his a separation or an annulment from his first wife, Catherine of Aragon. He's seen Anne Boleyn in the court and he wants to marry mm. Anne Boleyn. So it's an historic play, mm. but close history. Fair, for those fairly, people. yeah, quite recent. Yeah. yeah, and an important piece of history it would have been for them because it would have been very much on the mind of anybody alive in the 15 and early 1600s because 
that was the re- the time of the Reformation. That's the time when the Church of England was founded, the Anglican Church, and England left the Church of Rome. Mm. So quite mm. a heavy political piece, and it's all about the kind of gossip and intrigue with Cardinal Wolsey and Anne Boleyn. That's what it's about. So it's a bit serious. Yeah. I don't know if was no, a... that's not really what Tan's after in this. No, scene, I don't you know? think He's had all his Tan mad dogs. was up for that, <laughs> particularly. I just I shout for bear baiting. Is there well, any, when's the bear coming on? Well, <laughs> the audience was very shouty. They would yeah. shout out to the the players. To the players, if they didn't like something, they'd shout. If they something happened that they liked, they would scream. They would show their approval. So you could be shouting out. You could be a bit of a, a bit of, bit of a loud gobby. <laughs> Drunk mm. bloke in the theatre. <laughs> so it, it was a much more visceral, yeah. alive thing being in yes. the audience than it is now. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. nothing like yeah. going to the theatre now where the lights go down, the curtains open, everything's yeah. subdued, everybody behaves properly. This yeah. was completely different. So you've peed in the bucket. Yes. You've bought some snacks. You don't like the play very much. What's going to happen? What's going to happen is quite interesting, basically, is that at one point in the play, they're going to fire a cannon off as a mm-hmm. sound effect. So they fired off a cannon, and the it's not got a cannonball in it. It's stuffed with paper or whatever. And right. that then goes up into the thatch of the roof and starts, starts to set blaze. fire to the theatre. So how, how do we interrogate yeah. how this happens? We could try and stop that happening. So the question is, where do the wealthiest people in the theatre sit? And I would imagine they're in some sort of royal box. They do have gentlemen's boxes or gentlemen's rooms at the side of the stage so the stage is basically about it's about seven or eight feet tall so it's about the height just above the heads of the people are standing below the groundlings and then you've got the two galleries so you've got the gallery which will be slightly above the first gallery which will be slightly above the stage level and then the top gallery all going around in a circle basically so the building is a circle the gentlemen's rooms are to the side of the stage on the generally on the first level gallery the wealthiest people sit at the back of the stage behind okay. the actors ah. why do you think they do that because they've got really bad breath because they are wearing the most elegant and expensive clothes okay and everybody can see them so they um, they look good on stage it's so that people can see who the most important people are ah. because it's all daylight it's like nowadays... That's the opposite. You normally, the more money you've got, the more, more privacy, private. Yeah. 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 But what's the point in spending vast amounts of money on, on clothes, clothes yeah. if no one can, see, can see It's like, why if somebody buys a, a Ferrari or a Bugatti? What's yeah. the point of it if it's just in your garage? Or rev it up and down Oxford Street. Exactly. It's the same thing. It's like you want to be on show. This is a symbol. This, oh. These are shows of status. Yeah. Nobody would know who anybody was if they didn't wear different clothes. Nowadays, we don't have that, do mm-hmm. we? But... And in my very modest way, by buying cushions, that's my you, show of status. Yeah, you've kind of yeah. st- stuck it to your mates who are downstairs. All yeah. your friends are downstairs, groundlings. Yeah. And you're going, what's, what's up with Tan? He's, <laughs> he's sitting on a cushion, winging a bucket. Yeah. He's, he, he's got he's, ideas he's taken, above his station. He's taken on some airs, and hasn't he there? <laughs> my favourite name on the cast list here is, there's a doctor, I assume mm-hmm. it's the King's Doctor. He's called Dr. Butts. Right. Why does that make me laugh? Because the monarch had a personal attendant who was known as the groom of the stool. Which means the well, stool as in poo. Exactly, right. exactly. So basically uh, the king, the monarch, had a private toilet, a privy. It's like a box with a hole in the top with velvet seat, basically. It's like my toilet at home. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and they would 
sit on that and they would do their business. And then the attendant, who you'd think would have the worst, crappiest job in Britain, but was in fact an aristocrat because they were intimate and personal to the king, would wipe the king's bum right, and then take the uh, feces to the doctor. And the doctors loved examining pee and crap, basically, because that's mm. how they try to work out the health of the person. And sometimes administer an enema to the king. Oh, I'm doing today's work. Yes. <laughs> so Henry VIII had his groom of the stool. One of them was called Henninge, and he did administer an enema to him and reported that the king had a very fair siege. <laughs> <laughs> but it just amused me that, I don't know whether this is a joke which Shakespeare's making, but the doctor was called Dr. Butts. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> In the Qu- play. Quite probably would be my guess. Yes. Yeah. So we're expecting anyway. this canon to... Uh, oh, right. So, yes, sorry, I got distracted talking <laughs> about the groom of the stool. Yes. So as a sound effect, a cannon is fired off in the play. So obviously this is a play about royalty and there would have been soldiers and all of that in as part of the story. So they fire off this cannon and they don't have a cannonball in it. They've stuffed it with paper or rags or whatever. And that has then gone up and gone into the thatch, which is what the roof of the theatre is, mm-hmm. and it's set fire to the theatre. So mm. now the theatre is on fire. And okay. now we all need to get out. Okay. The town's got a bucket and of piss, you can just throw it <laughs> over, surely. Well, that's interesting <laughs> that you should say that. Obviously, there's no Jacobean sprinkler system, mm. and the doors are not set up for fire safety. There's no, there's no mass ex- exodus. Uh, Everybody just piles out mm, of the mm. theatre. So we're all piling out. One man's breeches, his trousers, catch fire, and somebody throws some beer onto the trousers to put yeah. out the fire, basically. Some ale yeah. is chucked onto the... Yeah. I'd rather that than, than the, the alternative. Yeah. <laughs> well, that could be you, Tan. Okay, okay. I'll see if I can uh, become the hero uh, with, yes. my, with my beer. So how can we lead Game Master with this? I don't know, because it's, it's kind of just giving me like facts now. It's just okay. saying, given up on playing here's the game. play, and this is what happened to the fire. <laughs> okay. So, Can you ask what happened to all the people who were in the theatre when they caught uh, fire? How can we get out once the fire starts? As the play Henry VIII unfolds, and you witness that fateful moment when the cannon misfires, igniting the globe's thatched roof, a sense of urgency grips the audience. The fire, one of the most famous events in the history of Elizabethan theatre, spreads quickly Uh-oh. through the dry material of the roof. As soon so, as you realise the fire is not part of the play, the first course of action is to calmly but swiftly make your way to the nearest exit. Uh, that's been very, very much modern uh, yeah. fire health and safety standards. Panic can lead to chaos, so it's important to stay as composed as possible. <laughs> I love that it's giving us health and safety tips. Yeah. <laughs> In situations like this, following the flow of the crowd can often lead to the nearest exit. The Globe Theatre had several exits, and the audience would be quickly moving towards them. If possible, assist others in the audience, especially those who may be confused or slower to react. (laughs) (laughs) This can prevent stampedes and injuries. So it's really giving us like a... A blow-by-blow. So the fire service have turned up and said, this is how you evacuate the building. Yeah. Please make your way in an orderly fashion. Whilst Tan's instinct to help douse the fire is commendable, the scale of the fire and the materials involved mean that a bucket of beer or urine would have little or no impact in controlling it. Right. The priority should be to ensure personal safety and the safety of those around you. And there you go. And then it's just given a bit more historical notes to that. Apart from the fact that it said Elizabethan theatre. Should it be Jacobean? Jacobean. Yeah. Um, which we have to mark it down for as appallingly ignorant AI. Yep. Yep. That's a rough guess as to what might have happened, but we just know that the, the man's riches caught fire. 
we're out now and the theatre completely burns down it's destroyed oh. and it's going to have to be rebuilt later yeah. yeah so and this would have been an icon for Londoners imagine you're on the city side looking across the river seeing the burning and now you see this theatre burning down and if you do the maths it's, there's about 250,000 uh, people living in London at this point and there are three theatres three or four theatres and they all can get about 3,000 people in there was no n fixed number we don't know how many they got in they would just stick as many in as they could obviously because that's how they made money so you had 10,000 people so you had about 5% of London mm. that had Crammed gone in. off mm. to the theatre yeah. and that would have been an icon that is no, going to be rebuilt but they don't know that Man. we know that because we're in the future <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think it feels like we've had a, a nice day out. We've had, in summary, we've eaten some snacks. We've done some drinking, some roistering, gambling, taking a little bit of bear entertainment, yes. bear fighting almost, yes. and a bit of high culture as well. I think it's been a good day. It's been a pretty <laughs> it's good been day. It's a pretty good day. Um, I'll ask Game Master to summarise it then. It'd probably just say the same thing. I've got one probably. little end if you want. Yeah. Go for it. And that is that poor Tan has got so drunk that he fell asleep along the riverside and woke up to find himself on a boat where he'd been press-ganged. Oh, no, I'm Ooh. in the Navy. He's in the Navy. <laughs> he was drunk and he signed a document <laughs> because you had these gangs, these naval yeah. gangs, going up and down the river at this time. Yeah. And they would pour foolish people along the river. They would wow. press them, basically. And they'd get in. And we didn't see him now for the next five years because he's at sea. <laughs> so... <laughs> It's ridiculous. It's basically given me a summary, like a bullet point summary. Okay, a, bus a business out. summary of our day out. Yeah, I won't read it all. Morning okay. stroll through London. Your day began with a walk through the bustling streets of 17th century London. Alehouse revelry in the lively tavern near the Globe Theatre. Culinary adventures. Your group enjoyed the flavours of the era with Tan and his venison and swan, inverted commas, okay. pie. Bear baiting, Globe Theatre experience and experiencing the fire. But we have had an impact on history. Epilogue. Tan's reputation, his boldness at the dice game, became a frequently recounted tale in the taverns of London. I cannot believe that. <laughs> That's so absurd. Apparently, apparently okay. did. Okay. Inspiring a series of exaggerated legends about a gambler who could sway fortune with his daring. His name becomes synonymous with luck in gambling circles. Your attendance at the Globe Theatre on the day of the fire and the calm demeanour you showed during the crisis became part of the theatre's lore. Tales of your group's composed exit amidst the <laughs> chaos and the... <laughs> <laughs> added to the legendary resilience of London's people. Uh, in the years following, the story of three friends who experienced the Globe <coughs> Fire and lived to tell the tale became a popular anecdote among playwrights and storytellers, occasionally referenced in plays and local folklore. Well, there you go. Your journey through time and your actions and experiences not only provided you with a unique adventure, but also left a small but memorable imprint on the history of 17th century London. Your day out filled with excitement, danger and cultural immersion became part of a city's rich tapestry of stories and legends. <laughs> well, I think that's a, a very nice sort of innocent. It sort of gave up on trying to make us into cultural icons. Yeah. It just realised we wanted a nice day out and that's yeah. what it gave us. We met Sackerson though. We did meet Sackerson actually. We did I meet him. Uh, I mean, because in fact, Shakespeare isn't in London at this point. He's retired. We couldn't uh -huh. have met him. Okay. So next best thing, Sackerson. Sackerson, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that adventure through London, Mark. I think that was our human guide versus robo guide. And I think yes. I, I feel like human guide definitely won. What was your take on it? How did, how did you find chat GPT or our, our game master's uh, uh, interventions? Well, as I say, we were giving it marks as AI as amazingly incisive or appallingly ignorant. And I think yeah. it was 
A bit of both, really, wasn't it? It was yeah. amazingly incisive when you asked it for a very specific piece mm. of information that it could, could find. But then when you got off into trying to describe what happened in the theatre, it was suitably vague, which is understandable because we don't know a great deal about what happened. So I think it did pretty well. It is good. at It can, it can steer and come up with stuff quite well. Yeah. But it is prone to making Yes, it's, it's prone to suddenly jumping from Elizabethan to yeah. Jacobean without... without Checking without knowing, and you think that's a pretty elementary mistake if you understand the history, isn't it? Mm. But other than that, I think it, it did pretty well. Thanks for joining us on this on this adventure. Um, and where can our listeners get hold of you? You can find our podcast if you go to your podcatcher and look up Extraordinary Stories of Britain. So if you're on Apple or on Spotify or on Amazon, you'll find mm. it there. Or do join us on our website if you look for storiesofbritain.com you can subscribe to our website and you'll get updates as to when our next podcasts are out how would you approach your big day out in london where would you have gone do you think we should have really tried to push for that bear baiting to happen and, and ridden ridden the bear out into the sunsets do let us know you can find us on twitter at passmaster ai you can find us on instagram at passmaster pod we are on tiktok at passmaster ai or you can send us an email passmasterpod at gmail.com letting us know your thoughts do get in touch. We love hearing from you. Please leave us a review on Apple or Spotify and tune in next time for more Passmaster Adventures. Bye for now. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Right, has anyone got a bucket? I'm dying. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>